0: Hello, and welcome to today's session of the Supply Chain Master Series presented by Transportation Insight. I'm Peter Ryan in the Transportation Insight Marketing Group. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us for this digital event. Our panelists are ready to deliver impactful insight that you can apply into your own operational environment. We designed this series of digital events to connect you directly with our team of Supply Chain Masters to bring you expert level advice on solving supply chain challenges. To that end, if you have a question during today's session, simply type it into the questions panel that you see in your webinar viewer. We'll respond to as many questions as possible during our broadcast. let's jump right into today's topic being presented by Client Solutions Directors, Mike Anderson and Scott Vazana. Thank you, Mike and Scott, for being with
1: us today. Mike, can we hear you? Hello. Yeah, a little technical glitch (laughs) there, thank you. That's all right, that's quite all right. Appreciate that. So let me just reiterate very quickly. Uh, Like myself, Scott is a Client Solutions Director on the Transportation Insight Team. He has an extensive background uh, in the industry and has held positions in multimodal operations, aircraft management, and even flew several years as a corporate pilot. His most recent tenure was with a group founded by the late T. Boone Pickens, where he served as their senior business development manager, selling services to transportation operators for 10 successful years. Scott holds degrees in both transportation management and transportation safety. And we are both looking forward to presenting for you today.
2: Well, hello everyone, and thanks, Mike. Um, I'm proud to have the pleasure of introducing my friend, colleague, and, the, and a, our wily veteran of our duo, Mike Anderson. He comes to us with over 20 years of experience in the transportation world. He founded and operated and later sold a successful transportation group focused on LTL, import, drayage, transloading, and rail. Since then, he has been solving complex logistical challenges for customers specializing in 3PL, 4PL, import, export, and food manufacturing activities. Uh, I'd say the only thing Mike can't do is juggle, um, but I'm not positive about that. Uh, with that, I'd like to hand it back over to you, Mike, so you can tell our listeners where this webinar journey is
1: headed. Yeah, thanks, Scott, appreciate that. And again, thanks for everybody attending today. So. We're going to talk about today's topics. Really, we're talking about the bullwhip effect. Uh, To get started down that path, we want to get on the same page for basically a description of uh, what a supply chain is. I'm not going to go into real great depth about it. And I'm going to, we're going to talk a little bit later and display a simplified supply chain just for purposes of demonstration of the bullwhip effect. We're going to define the bullwhip effect for you. We're going to talk about how did we get here, why are we suffering from it, countermeasures and solutions that you can employ, and then how to employ those and executing into the future to weaken the effect of of the bullwhip effect, right? So as we think about supply chains, um, typically nowadays, it's more of a supply web. For, For purposes today, we're going to stick with kind of a linear understanding of a supply chain. Each node in that in that chain is one actor for, for, for our demonstration today. But when you think about modern day supply chains or supply webs, it's important to understand, especially as you're trying to understand what the bullwhip effect is. It's really, it's, at the end of the day, it's a systemic, systemically caused problem of communication between all the various partners within a supply web. So it's not the one or two times that people are talking to one another. It's the multitude of communications over a vast network or supply web that each individual person in a traditional supply chain uh, is now faced with. So it's an extraordinarily complicated subject. We're going to try and make, well, it's not that complicated. It's pretty complicated. We're going to try and make it as easy as possible to understand. But don't uh, think for a minute that uh, the bullwhip effect only really applies to linear supply chains is really the point of this slide. OK? So moving on really to talk about the bullwhip effect itself, and it needs a little bit of definition. so back in 1961, a guy out of MIT, Forrester, um, he was a farm boy and he was a brilliant electrical engineer and got an MIT directly after high school and he did lots of great things, including uh, helping invent in 1956 um, that SAG or SAGE air defense system and But then he was, as he was moving through his career there, he started to get more interested in issues related to management and and how systems work together. And he further um, got the opportunity to uh, really dig into that when GE offered a grant of $10 million for, and he went on board with GE and started to study some issues that they were having with some of their production facilities, especially in Kansas City as it related to a, uh, a home appliance production facility, and what he noticed is that sometimes the workforce would be completely idle, and another times they'd be working two, three some you know, two or three shifts a day, and it wasn't always tied to customer demand. And so he started to try and understand why that was, and he became the father of system uh, dynamics and really started to try and understand where the uh, where the problem lie in the disconnect between consumer buying habits, and the order process throughout the organization, and it really comes down to one of communication. Then a guy named Dr. Lee from Stanford further refined that, focusing exclusively on supply chain when he was put on contract with Procter & Gamble, trying to understand the problem that uh, Procter & Gamble is experiencing with diapers. So they would see the orders that they received from the Walmart and Targets of the world were much different than what the consumer was actually buying. So as we'll see, we're going to further, further gonna talk about that, but Forrester was able to display that a 10% change in the rate of sale at the retail level can result in up to a 40% change in demand for the manufacturer, right? So remedy for this effect is to understand the system as a whole and to make modifications in behavioral practice. So it's not a problem of people making bad decisions, it's individuals making good decisions with the information that they have at the time, okay? And so, uh, Scott's going to just, well, we're going to actually, before we do that, I want to jump in and give an illustration of this to maybe just make it a little simpler for everybody to understand. If you don't mind giving me a control of that screen there, Peter. Oh, yeah, look at you. Let me just move this on over here real quick, and I think this will just make it a little bit easier for everybody to understand. So in our simplified supply chain here, you'll see factory, distributor, wholesaler, retailer and customer. And the customer and the retailer are closely aligned, as you'll see when the customer buys something, the retailer reacts in you know a pretty rational way because they're so close to the information. Okay? But as it moves up through the supply chain in our simple example, you'll see wide variation. And you could see that better. Actually, let's capture it all here. You can see that better if we just insert a simple graph. And really, this is a good one here, I think, yeah. So what you see here is this 40% difference that Forrester described in his study over at GE. So you see in this line, that's the customer buying behavior. A slight change creates a rational slight change, and then the wheels fall off the cart in terms of communication. So what's happening through the supply chain at the wholesaler, distributor, and factory level is that they are rounding up, making uh, decisions with the information that they have, or rounding down. So what you're going to end up with is a bunch of inventory on the, shelves, uh, uh, on the shelves for products that people don't want to buy and nothing available on the shelves for products that people want to buy. Obviously in COVID times, the big example is toilet paper. So that was a direct reflection or that was the bullwhip effect uh, in real time happening. So hey, it's just... not to
2: Not to interrupt, but yeah, go ahead, uh, buddy. I, yeah. I think it is worth reiterating that that fact that you stated there that that a 10% change either at the beginning or end of the chain does uh, account for a 40% fluctuation in the middle. And it, this graphic really demonstrates that um, on both yeah. sides in the table and the graph.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting too is that the overreaction happens in, in a positive sense for lack of a better word and in a negative sense. And you see the person who suffers typically most is the fa- at the factory level because simply because they're the furthest away from the, the the information that is necessary to make better decisions, right? So they're not making they're not they're not making poor decisions uh, because they're not good at their job. They just again don't have the right information. So that I think is an incredible demonstration, very quickly, of what the bullwhip effect uh, uh, shows in real time, and, and backs Forrester up, obviously. All right. So you're back in control there, my friend. All right. So now that we've gone through the graph piece, you know, I'm gonna maybe ask Scott to step in and talk a little bit about who's susceptible to the bullwhip effect.
2: Sure. Okay. Thanks, Mike. And unfortunately, sure. the uh, the short answer to that question is is virtually every business uh, must address or at least be aware of the bullwhip effect uh, and, and where it comes from and what it does. So hopefully, we'll we'll help you with that today in this webinar. But um, really the only scenario that we could really come up with that that you would not or or would have minimal uh impact of of the bullwhip effect would be uh, companies that are vertically integrated, where you're insulated uh, from those outside forces. But, you know, the catch with that is that, you know, a vertically integrated company definitely has its its own uh, challenges. So uh, I'm not sure that you come out ahead in that, but really that was the only one. So uh, bottom line, if you're a node on this in the supply chain, you're going to be susceptible uh, to the bullwhip effect. And, you know, uh, Mike has mentioned Procter & Gamble and Walmart, you know, Walmart being the largest employer on the planet, as we all know. Um, they would be considered a leader in taming this issue, um, but they spend a whole lot of resources and have a whole lot of resources, resources to, to throw at this thing. So, um, but they do know that customer satisfaction uh, will suffer and ultimately profitability will suffer if they don't address it. So um, definitely one that gets their attention and, and they have been uh, one of the leaders at solving. Um, you know again Procter and Gamble Mike has mentioned they were really the pioneers uh, but Procter and Gamble had been operating quite a while themselves without even identifying the bullwhip effect and it finally came to light so you know the, the point i 'm making there is um, some of the folks on this webinar probably operate their own business but uh, do you have the resources and the capability to uh, not only recognize but start to start to solve or help yourself with the uh, uh, ramifications of the Whip effect. Um, you know, and then while we're while we're on the topic of successful companies, let's talk about a uh, an industry that's near and dear to my heart uh, with my history is the oil and gas industry. You know, they are definitely um, subject to to constant fluctuations in the supply and ch- uh, supply and demand uh, arena, and they're always always challenged with that and uh if you recall about 6 months ago with the floating armada of oil tankers off the coast of California um that was a gross example of what happens when you get the supply chain or the supply and demand aspect wrong um if you recall oil went negative one of the few times in history that that's happened um and just again just a a good visual example not good but <laughs> definitely uh uh a visual uh, that you could see when supply chain does does go wrong so um you know hopefully mike and i haven't scared you uh, or confused you too much by this point that's not the intent uh we're definitely going to leave you with some some solutions and, and ways to recognize uh the bullwhip effect and when it's happening to you and how to head it off um but for now i think we're going to kick it back over to mike and and he's going to continue the conversation
1: Yeah, you know, Scott, you said something interesting there about movement and really the Mm -hmm. bullwhip effect as um, named by Dr. Lee out of Stanford when he was working with Procter and Gamble. He came up with the idea of the bullwhip because it is a slight movement or slight variation in customer ordering patterns that cause this wide fluctuation, both high and low, right? So if you think about a bullwhip or the handle of a bullwhip, it takes just a slight flick to create a huge wave pattern through the length of the bullwhip, and so that was the analogy that he used that really kind of helped people visualize this effect uh, throughout the supply. Uh, yeah,
2: and, and as you mentioned, Pampers diapers was really the the catalyst for them to say, "Hey, we've got a we've got an issue out there. What what is it? What's going on?" And yeah. You know, uh, not to be too, <laughs> too graphic, but you know, yeah. babies consistently go to the bathroom probably about the same amount, and they knew that that diapers were not a product that should fluctuate uh, dramatically, like a, like a seasonal product or something like that. So they that's kind of what led them in that direction. So.
1: Yeah, and 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 Walmart, Target, they were just, um, yeah, it was a fairly stable buying pattern, but still, we were seeing decisions made, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute see decisions made that you know they had big production issues. And so as we think about really the ill effects of what the bullwhip can bring, uh, Procter & Gamble suffered from it. And they suffered in ways like extra capacity to meet the high variable demand. So we moved on to why should I care? Capacity is underutilized when that demand drops, right? Unit labor costs can rise in periods of low demand, overtime, temporary labor, some con- subcontract spend, you know, your spend rises in periods of high demand, that's artificial high demand, and variable demand also increases lead times causing excess inventory, right? So when Forrester was thinking about this, he was thinking about a stoastic problem, which is really just a fancy word for uh, uh, irrational variability, right? So extreme variability, that it's difficult to understand what, where that variability comes from, right? So. That's the bull effect really can uh, be very expensive. Companies invest in extra capacity, extra inventory, extra workers, paying workers not to work, bringing on different shifts for artificial high demand, uh, inflated inventory carrying costs, and again, the shelves with products that aren't selling are full. So, that's one of the one of the ill effects, the major ill effects. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit now about the major causes beyond what we've seen with COVID. And there's ways to Think about that and communicate that. Even um, natural or, or uh, natural disasters, I guess, in terms of the pandemic uh, and any other major disrupt, there's even ways to deal with that. But we're really going to describe today kind of the normal, not normal, but the usual ways that people think about the bullwhip effect and the five categories that typically help cause it or, or uh, accelerate that effect. So. One is the order batching. So, as you see, as it moves up the supply web to the factory, um, each member past that retailer, right, the wholesaler, the distributor, the factory, they're making rounding errors, and we'll call it rounding errors, right? So, they're going to round up or they're going to round down, and as they make those decisions based upon the best information that they have, their intuition, their understanding of history, they're going to round up or round down, and that Further accentuates the bullwhip effect as their order moves up the supply web. Right. The next is price fluctuations. So there's a reason why Walmart does everyday low prices. Right. It's great for the consumer. Helps them understand that that price is as low as it can be and will typically be be stable. But it's also a brilliant move on their part to eliminate the problems associated with price fluctuations as it exists in typical supply webs. That's helped them. Um, uh, create uh, a more uh, known supply web if you will so orders are more consistent all the way up through the all the way up through the entire web right so special discounts other cost changes can uh, regu- uh, regularly disturb buying patterns so you think about somebody doing uh, within an individual organization you could have the sales or marketing department put out a promotion not really talk to the production uh, to the production folks or their upstream partners right And so you'll see even within organizations that they're causing their own bullwhip, regardless of of the individuals in the supply web themselves, right? So demand information, really what we're talking about is past data misses the fluctuations. Most everybody uses past to really uh, prepare for the present and for the future in terms of inventory. So you're gonna get caught flat footed when you see these other factors that we're talking about coming to play, or you get some kind of natural uh, disaster. And really the key here is as close to the customer information that you can get as real time as you can get it is, uh, is crucial moving forward, right? So the lack of communication between each link in the supply chain, it gets difficult for processes to run efficiently. So for example, I wrote here, managers can identify a product demand quite differently within different links of the supply chain and therefore order different quantities. So that's where you see that rounding error come in. And finally, it's about goal alignment. So again, back to the marketing department or the um, uh, other pieces of the operation and free returns, believe it or not, free returns is kind of a, a major source of cause of the bullwhip effect. Sometimes customers may purposely overstate demands due to shortages and then cancel when the supply becomes adequate again, right? So without return, forfeit retailers will continue to exaggerate their needs and cancel orders. So, it's not necessarily the returns from the customer. It's returns from other players further up the supply web, All right? So, I think that uh, kind of covers the major effects of the bullwhip, okay? And so, I'm going to kind of move on to the next section of this which is really about how we're going to counter this. And so Scott's going to help us understand a little bit more about how we can how we can come up with ways to to counter the bullwhip effect.
2: Yeah, thanks Mike. So again, it's it's not all doom and gloom. There definitely are some ways to to mitigate your risk exposure. Uh, to the bullwhip effect, and uh, we 've both touched on it just slightly, um, but really the the main takeaway and i 'm going to start with dessert here. I want you guys to to really take this away if uh, if you take one thing away from the the webinar today it 's probably this, and that is the most important thing is the communication and data sharing is is of the utmost important importance to uh, mitigate the bullwhip effect. Um, Again, this is what Walmart has done, they've really opened up those lines of communications, they've allowed uh, vendor, vendor managed inventory uh, to access, suppliers get to access um, Walmart's inventory data, and this is really what makes the difference and what, what has made the greatest positive impact for Walmart, um, they've opened the, those channels above and below them. Now. Uh, we're asking you to do that, too, or at least think about doing that, uh, whether it's provide the data directly or the communication uh, alone. But if you can share the data, that would be the way to do it. Um, that is often considered uh, proprietary data, so it's not often the easiest thing to do. But, you know, one solution to that is to potentially um, bring in a third party like Transportation Insight <laughs> to that understands and knows both sides of the business uh, and, and can advocate for the change. So, um, you know you have to be able to demonstrate demonstrate and articulate uh how each node will benefit you know the old adage adage what's in it for me uh definitely applies here because that's what people want to know if i give you my data what what do i get out of it so uh what they get what they get is a consistent and solid supply chain and solid pricing ultimately uh in the end so uh again data sharing open lines of communication uh, first and foremost. And then look within your own organization. Uh, do your order levels meet your actual needs? Uh, are your contingencies being added along the way and at what points? Um, it's possible within your own walls, you're starting the bullwhip effect. You may be the guilty one. So um, look at your own resor- or your own personnel because that will be the actual easiest one uh, to take a look at and, and at least clean that up first. That's a good place to start. Uh, another is to utilize simulations. Uh, I like to call them the war games of your supply chain. Um, you know you can use run simulations using your historical data. use your own data, um, use your own locations, uh, use hypothetical um, scenarios. but you know if you pull up your historical data, look at if you had made different decisions during those times what, how would that have affected uh, the outcome? Would you have per, uh, potentially performed better? Um, you know that the Navy is a is a great example here. I don't know if anyone saw in the news about a month ago, but they, every two years they have what's called RIMPAC. It's a uh, an event where 25 um, countries send their navies in and they they play war games. You know, so um, the Navy is ultimate or arguably one of the most organized and well well run uh, organizations in the in the world, according to to a lot of people. And, and they practice, they run simulations. So, uh, Mike, I believe you had uh, had an example, too, of a simulation that, that you've used in the past.
1: Yeah, that it brought, it brought to mind a couple of things. There, there's a guy named Stearman who um, helped to create it. He was also an MIT guy, and he worked with uh, Forrester and some others, uh, David Brown, I think. And he came up with something called the beer game, right? So the beer game, uh, and if anybody's really uh, interested in it, uh, we've played it here, and it really is eye-opening. And what it but the beer game, in essence, just brings um, different people together, and they take on a role as a person within that, that simple supply chain that we described, and they can only react to the information they're given from their customer, right, regardless of who that is within that supply chain. So uh, we saw very, very, very quickly human behavior is, uh, and you can play it over and over again, and it's always the same result. People will round up, people will make decisions based on intuition. They've got to guess, they gotta play cagey, and it really becomes a a story of uh how do I react in a way to second guess two or three members up or down that supply web. So it's it's really eye-opening. It's called the beer game by by Stearman. I think that uh I think that and he's any who those who have not played that game will get will get a lot out of it. And I also wanted to mention really quickly too on this, what can you do? You know, in working with a couple of new clients that um, recently came on board uh, of mine, um, their excitement at the uh, our at Insight Fusion and our ability now to provide them with real-time data along with historical data and to be able to drill down on this this graphic dashboard of uh, every possible variable that you need to capture within your within your network, your transportation network, including, you know, skew profitability some discussion about margin management that's a fairly sophisticated use of it but you can really start to understand what your order profiles look like start to understand what you should actually be charging for transportation to a given region based upon different criteria so that's a very exciting um, relatively new product coming out of transportation insight that uh, a lot of my customers are very excited about just the amount of business intelligence and actionable intelligence they can use off of that so I just thought I'd, I got excited about that, so I thought I'd mention that.
2: Yep, definitely worth a mention. Um, Mike, you talk about beer; I talk about the Navy. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right. Um, so, so moving on. Um, another way to mitigate the bullwhip effect is to uh, research alternate sources. You know, consider onshoring versus uh, offshoring. Maybe this is a time to to look at that. Um, don't leave yourself at the mercy of one supplier, as Mike mentioned. You know, we're we're parts of a we are parts of a supply web. So um make your web bar- bigger, make it stronger and, and look for alternate sor- sources, you know. And then um back to the the data aspect. I know, I know we're talking a lot about data, but but we love data at Transportation Insight. I can guarantee you that. You know, we often say, and God we trust all others use data. Um, and that couldn't be any more true. We we really get excited about it and um, you know, we, we often see our clients—they uh, have data, they have no idea what to do with it. They have it coming in from channel after channel. Uh, a lot of the time, it ends up on the shelf with no real intent or purpose. Um, so that's where a group like uh, Transportation Insight comes in and 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 looks at that historical data. How are you gathering it? And, and what could we what could we do with it for you? Um, that can be generated into usable business intelligence. um, And that's what Transportation Insight was founded on ultimately 20 years ago. Um, It matters, it works, and as Mike mentioned, our Insight Fusion program really gathers that data into into a dashboard that you can use. uh, It's at your fingertips, web-based, not to make it a commercial, but it's definitely worth a a mention. It's a neat product and we'd be happy to show you that after the webinar uh, if you'd like to contact us, but, you Mm -hmm. know, not to sound too cliche, but you know, your historical data can really open and give you the keys to the future, and it's true. So don't don't let the uh, don't let history repeat itself. You know, use what you have at your fingertips. So, um, and Mike had mentioned a little bit about uh, the ability to quantify your promotions policies uh, and procedures and how they affect your operations. You know, your marketing department decides it's time for a sale. That's great. But do you really know what that means to your operation overall? Does it ultimately mean profit in the end? Um, you know, there's a common rule of thumb in the e-commerce world that that uh, 20% of the products account for 80% of the uh, of the profit, which is great. But if you're flying blind without systems in place, uh you're running a very high risk of of damaging your po- uh, profitability. So, you know, uh,
1: just, yeah. Uh,
2: Go ahead, Mike. I'm no, sorry.
1: Yeah, no, it's just that's a good point.
2: Okay. Yeah, you touched on that earlier, but but very important, and, and of course, the everyday low price um, model, uh, as you mentioned with with Walmart and and others, really promotes. That's the key to promoting a a consistent and uh, a steady supply chain. Now, you may be saying, well. You know, that's not I'm not the one who has to deal with it, but but you do in the end because if your supplier is not happy, uh it can affect you. It can raise your rates, it can raise your prices, um, it can damage your customer um satisfaction level. So definitely you have to take it into consideration and uh and ultimately see what your uh margins look like all the way through. So you have to have that visibility uh through all all aspects of your supply chain and transportation programs. So um Another thing that, that Mike had mentioned was uh, batch orders, and, and what I'm going to tell you is to limit that, limit the number of, uh, of batch orders. But you know, transportation may seem cheaper, and, and or warehousing may seem cheaper than transportation in times. But um, again, those batch orders, when you when you do that, it places a burden on your supplier, and again puts them in a position where they're the ones flying blind in this case. So you know, if you want to help yourself, uh, help others, and, and help them be consistent and then uh last but definitely not least and this is probably a, a grossly uh, oversimplified statement but but clean up your transportation program because um it definitely can affect the the, the bottom line uh while it's not a, an ex- exact node in the supply chain it's definitely uh, a part of each one of them so it may have potential to amplify uh the bullwhip effect in each case so it may be even worse than than just a node being being um out of calibration. So, you know, transportation continues to be a factor in the supply chain that can make a difference. Uh, whether you uh, have that as a positive uh, impact or a negative impact, is really depends on how you approach it. But, you know, um, carrier uh, procurement, network alignment, uh, technology, audit, data uh, capture, and are really all the keys to cleaning up your transportation process. So, it's definitely not a Uh, a small and easy feat. Uh, Transportation, you know, that's another one of our core competencies. And that's what we were founded on is is an enterprise solution that includes all of those aspects. And it really takes all of those aspects to to put yourself on that continuous improvement uh, cycle. Mike, did you have anything to add?
1: Well, you know, I was just thinking about the importance of everything you just said and how important the under or the overarching theme here, which is information and communication, right? So one definition of nirvana or heaven is perfect information, right? Perfect understanding and perfect information. The closer you can get to understanding both real time and historical information as it relates to both up and down stream of that supply web or supply chain, the better better decisions you're gonna be able to make. Now, there's ways to ameliorate that we just talked about today or weaken that effect. There's a couple of things on the horizon that maybe are you know, they're problematic in certain ways, but that will help make that information more available, at least be able to gather that information with the internet of things, right? And, and combined with um, a blockchain technology is the amount of sensors get out there. We're really gonna start to understand, you know, to the skew level movement of product through a supply chain all the way into, it, into a customer's hands. We're not there yet. But we can help get there with the combination of uh, uh, processes that we bring to the table to optimize those networks. And the key to all of that is our ability to help uh, folks with information. that's i just wanted to add that real quick, so thanks yeah, no that.
2: good good point i mean uh, leaning your supply chain leaning your your uh, transportation programs it's it's not just uh leaning your manufacture process manufacturing process anymore to to uh establish that margin management uh piece of your business it has to include everything if you if you really yeah. wanna if you want to do it right um you know your profits may be great enough where you can you can have have a leak but uh, what's the point? Why not be the best you can if you're going well, to try?
1: Yeah, but you can see why people get excited, right? So they get this giant order from somebody in their supply web, and they're like, you know, look how much we're going to sell this quarter. It's like the cult of sales just overshadows stuff sometimes. It takes mm-hmm. thoughtful managers and take thoughtful operators to really try to dig in on that and try and understand really what that means, both for their partners and for their customers. So yeah, it's kind of a 360 degree view of it. So anyway, well,
2: absolutely. Well, and that's a good segue into our, our last slide, um, and that's who solves this issue. So really, the question is, do you solve it, or does somebody else solve solve it? If uh, if you've been uh, following Transportation Insights expert lens series, uh, one of our previous webinars was was about just that. It was about insources versus outsources your your outsourcing your supply chain and transportation uh, activities. Uh, and they made some great points um, in that in that webinar and one is do you have the resources do you have the knowledge um, is it your one of your core competencies and, and if it's not um, if you if the answer is no to one or any of those it's really uh, consideration should be given to given to to bringing on a third party to to help you with that process um, it's and stick with what what you're really good at and what your company was founded on. So, you know, the supply chain and transportation uh, world is is what Transportation Insight lives in. And we have the team, the tools and the technology to help our customers uh, master their supply chain. And so uh, that really concludes the webinar. Mike, if you have anything to add, now's the time. Uh, otherwise, I'll kick it back over to uh, Peter and we can take a few
0: questions if we have a few moments. Sounds great, Scott. Appreciate that. Great job. Okay guys, uh, we do have, uh, thank you very much. We do have a couple of questions that have come in and as a reminder to the audience, uh, don't hesitate to enter those, your questions in that questions panel you see there on the screen. Uh, we'll address as many as we as we have time for. Um, our, the first one that came in uh, is, I'm gonna throw it to you, Scott. Um, you mentioned the need, well, both of you actually <laughs> talked about batch ordering a little bit, but uh, Scott, I'd like you to answer this one for us. you mentioned the need to avoid batch ordering um, but uh, this guy this this listener says uh, for us warehousing is less costly than transportation so are you saying is to avoid it even if it is a less expensive option Hmm. fair question Um,
2: and there are cases where batch ordering ordering would make sense Um, I would say if if that is necessary just be transparent uh, whether it's above or below yourself in the in the supply chain about uh, why you're, you're ordering, not necessarily because it's due to some demand that's uh, an outside force. Um, and so that way you're transparent with your suppliers and, and let them know uh, the reasoning behind that. Um, that's one part that I would say. And the other thing is I would, um, I'm not gonna argue with it, but I would say that uh, bringing the lens over your transportation program, Probably wouldn't be a bad idea either, just to ensure that transportation is yet uh, less expensive or less costly um, because there's a chance if if we came in and we found your transportation costs were actually could be lower than warehousing, um, then you get uh, twice the twice the benefit so you get your savings on on your uh, transportation and then potentially cut out the warehousing aspect uh, and inventory management so um, great question. Um, more complicated than a yes or no for sure
0: (laughs) thank you scott uh next one i'll throw it over to mike Um, so you talked a lot about communication and information so how does the miscommunication of inventory needs actually happen
1: when an order comes across like in that quick little story i gave about people getting excited about a particular sales it's typically all the information they get from their partner or from their customer or their vendor, right? So uh, when they give it to their vendor, as an example, so they can only react to that. And eight times out of 10, nobody's going to make that call and ask the question, why is, uh, why are we receiving this large order? Uh, It's typically not a question that jumps to people's minds in my experience anyway. So that, that issue comes about because of just basic human behavior. They react to that uh, and if it, if there's any fluctuation that's at all consistent, that's going to, as we saw in the uh, in the graph, that's going to reverberate all the way through their vendor network uh, as, as they're seeking those raw materials or whatever supplies they need to bring into a value added uh, uh, operation or manufacturing facility to put that together to get it on out to the wholesaler or the the distributor. So really it's just not thinking through to get, that's the wrong word, not reacting so quickly and maybe just make that phone call. That's really one of the basic way to deal with that right away. Why this order so large? Well, geez, you know, we got this giant order from these folks. Maybe people start talking to one another. That's okay for the one off, the two off. Maybe, you know, do that four or five times and all of a sudden you're bugging everybody and you're not able to react quickly. And so that's where the system starts to need to evolve and the system needs to uh, be better informed in terms of that information. So really what you're trying to find is a pathway, well, identify those pieces of information, then create a pathway for that information to get to those folks that are making those kinds of decisions so that they can make the, you know, the thousands of decisions that they have to make on a given day, week, month, a quarter, a year, right? So that's really, that's really uh, uh, typically why that happens.
2: And hey Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to reiterate that, that statistic, uh, 10%, 10% change at the beginning accounts for a 40% fluctuation.
1: Yeah. You know, it's just, definitely a takeaway. Take just away. people not knowing and over and not overreacting. They're not, they don't, they are overreacting or underreacting. It's just, uh, they're just they're just making the best decisions they can with the information they have at the time.
0: Yeah, right, not having access to the information they need. Yep. Okay, thanks Mike. Um so this this one I'll pose to Scott. Um so you guys mentioned technology a few times during your during your talk here. So is there any software available that that really solves the bullwhip issue?
2: Okay. Um yeah, the answer is no. And the answer is yes. <laughs> so um, there is no specific software, at least that we're, we're aware of, that's that's dedicated to to the bullwhip effect. I would say, um, however, there are other uh, pieces of software. If if all pulled together, uh, Mike mentioned one is is Insight Fusion that we offer a transportation insight, which is ultimately business intelligence uh, that you could use and, and make and take action on. Um, but there are there are other Technology components that feed into that uh, Insight Fusion program. So, yes, you have uh, TMS programs, you have audit programs, you have the business intelligence, you, you have supply chain analytics programs. You know, short of a of an AI program that doesn't exist yet that I'm aware of, maybe Walmart has it, but um, I'm sure it would be costly. Uh, that would actually run the formula in real time. Uh, you know, I've, it's a topic that I've, I've actually considered and um, it's not available. So, so I guess the answer is there is technology, it has to work in harmony uh, to, really, to really provide you with that business intelligence at the end, uh, like our fusion program does.
0: Okay, all right, good, thanks Scott. Um, actually, we had a, uh, another, another question come in um, from the audience. And I'll throw this out there and 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 let you let you guys decide who wants to take it um Would it be a correct statement that the bullwhip effect is accentuated by lead time of supply and non flexible manufacturing?
1: lead time of supply and non flexible manufacturing yeah lead time if it's an extended lead time if you have more time and you ask the right questions. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to really understand the sp- specifics of the uh, of the interaction, right, to, to to fully answer that question. But, okay. but it pops into my mind that you have more time to deal with it. What do you think, Scott? And therefore, yeah. you're going to be able to make better decisions because you've got longer lead time. It's always better to have more lead time. And if yeah, you've got absolutely. A, and if you've got a facility or a manufacturing that is not flexible. Then, uh, by definition, that's going to eliminate a major part, major cause of the bullwhip, right? So, yes. the inflexibility right. will create a stability.
2: No, it's it's a great point. Whoever posed that definitely knows a, a little little bit about the uh, about the bullwhip effect, because yes, those are definitely both contributing factors as well.
0: Okay, excellent. All right. Well, it looks like we're we're coming up on. Um, the time we had allotted for the for the webinar here, I uh, wanted to thank both of you, Scott and Mike, for sharing your perspectives on this. Um, to our listeners, uh, if there's if you have more questions, please keep filtering them filtering them in. We'll we'll get them to Scott and Mike. Uh, if if you or you can feel free to connect with, with with Scott and Mike directly if you'd like to learn more. I've got we got their contact information up here on the screen. So let there, be sure to look, look for our next uh, Supply Chain Master Series event in the resources section of our website. Uh, our next episode is gonna be a, a very interesting one on October 1st at 2 p.m. Eastern. Our panel is going to examine the new never normal that has emerged as a result of the buy online, pick, on, pick up in store revolution. Whether your business is large or small, the Transportation Insight Supply Chain Solutions can help you control cost manage risk, and improve your customer experience. So on behalf of our panelists in Transportation Insight, I'd like to thank you for joining today's broadcast. May you master the remainder of your day.